This episode of Access Utah first aired September of last year. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. You've heard of a poetry slam. Well, you're invited to an ethics slam. That's an event modeled around the poetry slam in the sense it occurs in a community space and is open mic. I'm quoting uh, Rachel Robinson Green here, um, who is one of the organizers. Uh, the content differs. Members of the community are asked to share their thoughts in a civil, respectful manner about a pressing social issue. This slam is focusing on responding to climate change. Um, and so we're going to talk about ethics slams and the role of philosophy in uh, in today's political debates, today's political uh, or just general life. Um, we are going to be talking with Rachel Robinson Green, postdoctoral fellow uh, in philosophy at Utah State University, who's joining us. Thanks for coming in. Oh, thanks for having us. Uh, we're also joined by Richard Green, professor of philosophy and director of the Richard Richards Institute for Ethics at Weber State University. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Thanks for uh, traveling just a bit north to, oh, to join us. I'm, I'm getting used to the drive. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> good, we, good. We come up a lot. <laughs> Um, we have uh, three Utah State University students as well. Um, we have with us uh, Preston Fearing. Hey, uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Abigail Slade. Good morning. And uh, Kristen Chavez. Hi. <laughs> so uh, thanks for joining us. So let me uh, turn first to Rachel, Rachel Robinson Green. What's an ethics slam? All right. Well, an ethics slam is an open mic activity. We encourage students to come, but we also highly encourage members of the community to come. What they're really supposed to be are community conversations about pressing topics. Uh, and the goal is to have members of the community and students and, and all that interacting with one another in a respectful manner. It's sort of what we really want to model is the way in which we can talk about controversial issues uh, with people with whom we disagree in, in a productive way, because I think we've sort of lost that skill as a society. So this is not, uh, so uh, the word slam is just, you're taking that from the poetry right. slam. Mm -hmm. It's not an instruction to the audience to slam each other. No, right? no, in <laughs> fact, quite the opposite. Right, <laughs> right. So Richard Green has, uh, how does this work? Well, um, rates normally functions as the MC, and so we have a, a series of questions that we'll raise, and we'll ask the audience, um, what do you think of this? Folks will raise their hand. We've got a couple of wireless microphones. My job's to run around and hand <laughs> microphones to people and see who's next in the queue and all of that. Um, the original idea was to have give people you know two minutes to um, make a case about whatever the topic was and then have people respond to that. Um, that format went out the window within the first five minutes <laughs> of the first of the seven slams that we've done. And so now it's just kind of a rich discussion. When it seems like the, the topics wound down a little bit, um, Rachel introduced the, the next question. And, mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it. why did the original format um, go out the window? I, I think people were, were chomping at the bit to respond to things that they were hearing. So – the first person speaks, somebody says something in response to them, right on the original format. Everybody should be responding to the first person. The next person that had their hand up wanted to respond to the second person who spoke. And then somebody wanted to respond to that person. And it was it was clear that the conversation was going to be more interesting if people could sort of address whatever was being discussed at the time rather than um, stuck with this kind of rigid structure. And I'll mm -hmm. just add, I mean, one of the goals of the activity is to 
practice engaged and active listening. Um, and so the previous model kind of had people giving speeches a lot of the time. And that's not as useful, I think, as responding to one another. Yeah. So a big part of this is listening then. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but how, uh, boy, it's just depressing today's world. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> <How> do, <laughs> that's what we think. Too. That was part of the motivation for this, really. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, so people show up and I guess they're, they're wanting to discuss in a respectful way? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We, we get over 100 people to these things often. Just, yeah. They're chomping at the bit. Yeah. So what, what do you, is it self-selection, do you think? What's going on there? I, I guess what we want to do is, mm-hmm. what you'd like to do probably is to scale this up, right? To make this the standard for society. Yeah. Well, I, I think folks have heard about it. And what they've heard is that we have these discussions. But Excuse me. More importantly, what they've heard is that the conversations are really satisfying. Um, after the first one, people left just feeling great. Thought, wow, we can we can talk about this controversial thing. We had people on both sides of the issues. It was um, on peaceful protests, right? NFL players taking a knee, um, and people felt like they gained something and it maybe or regained an ability that they had previously. And I think that's the real selling point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people are interested in that experience. Yeah. I mean, students like these so much that we've had Utah State students go to Ogden when we host them in Ogden. We have our we have a bunch of Weber students excited about driving to Logan tonight to come to this. So. Yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let me turn to our students. Uh, maybe I'll uh, turn uh, first to um, to Preston. What's what attracts you to these? <laughs> Besides the fact that it's basically civil discourse, which is something, like Rachel said, we've lost as a society, which is a whole nother subject, um, it, it's the, the ability to find other people with uh, differing viewpoints from me and hear what they're saying so that I can inform myself almost, you know, so just to broaden my horizons is something that uh, these really give me. So I like that. Uh, Abigail, Abigail uh, Slade. Yeah, I just have to agree with Preston there. I think going to these things is really interesting to see the diversity of perspectives. And also, you, you end up leaving with ideas that you hadn't thought about before. And you find your opinions shaped into a more, into a rounder opinion. It's not just things that you hear from your parents or from your professors, which are valuable in themselves, but hearing things from people from all walks of life is a very valuable thing to, to catch on to. Yeah, I'd like to hear a perspective from uh, Christian Chavez. I really like these events because it shows, like, how different, like, the diversity in the society, but also how we can actually talk about these things without getting super heated and super, like, mad at each other for it. Like, it is, um, like, just a party. Like, it's just it's just a fun time to talk about really tough issues that nobody really wants to talk about anymore but they need to get talked about. Mm. Uh, so I'd like to, to stay with students and talk about, and then I'll talk uh, with uh, Richard and Rachel as well. Uh, so the the most uh, current uh, one previously was on shaming, right? And you got into social media and, and, and everything. Um, so maybe starting with Christian on, on this, and th- this will come out perhaps a little offensive to your generation, mm-hmm. but I don't mean it that way, I promise. <laughs> I guess I tend to conflate, as an older person, I tend to conflate the new technology and the new forms of communication, including all, including all the yelling and insults on social media. I tend sometimes to conflate that with younger generation and, and uh, I guess maybe come up with a <laughs> just the assumption that uh, 
all of you guys in that generation are, are on there and, and insulting each other. I know that's not true, right? I know that's not true. Uh, so I guess defend your generation. What, what are, well, <laughs> um, yeah, it's all up to me. Um, well, i just like to point out that we aren't the ones creating these things. Um, Technology is being built by adults and and people that aren't in our exact generation. So it's not exactly our fault that it's all out there. But I mean, we do have a lot to do with the, um, like the nonverbal like discrimination and just hatred that's on the internet. I accept that as our generation. But there's also a lot of things that aren't being taken into account, like all the good things that we do for our social media and our environment as a group of millennials yeah i guess it's a tool it could be used yeah. for good or bad mm-hmm. right uh so abigail i'd love to hear your perspective uh, on this you, uh, you you've i assume grown up with this technology there is good and bad how do you protect yourself and i guess you use it for good as well yeah there's definitely good and bad in everything though it's not just on social media it's in any of these discourses you find people who are going to disagree i think people just find it a safer platform to be so heated if you're not in person with someone, it's mm-hmm. it's easier to be just rude, flat out mean to them. Um, and I think people have gotten used to that kind of thing, to be honest. I think it's water off a duck's back at this point. Um, if people are still getting up in arms about something someone said on social media. Um, sometimes it is bullying. There is a big problem with cyberbullying, but oftentimes it just needs to be let go and like talked out in a more civil manner. Mm-hmm. Water off a duck's back. Is that how, uh, do you think maybe my generation is getting too worked up about some of these things? Um, I think it depends on the issue. I think that a lot of it is just a misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it can be um, resolved in ways that are not being utilized at this point. Yeah. Um, so, Preston, what's 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 your feeling as you as you navigate what can be a kind of a mean world of social media out there? So, um, in my experience on social media, I've actually found it to be uh, it's not my generation <laughs> that's uh, that's getting up in arms and uh, is being disrespectful. I found at least a lot a lot of my peers we have the attitude of just living and let living, you know. Um, this is the the time where we've had movements uh, with the LGBTQ plus community come out and uh, be accepted, as well as things like, you know, Black Lives Matter has emerged and, you know, it's being supported by a lot of people in my generation. Um, and then we see other generations, not to point name, you know, point <laughs> fingers, but come out and be really upset about these things. Um, and my generation just kind of sits back and is like, if you let us alone, we'll leave you alone. And so I, well, I think that's better than yelling at each other. It's still not productive to the point where we get stuff done. So the blame kind of just, you know, doesn't fall solidly on any generation. It's just everyone, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to work as a society to be better. Yeah. Uh, it's good to remember that, right? It's not not just any one generation. Yeah. Uh, I just would add there, I think the slams serve an important function in that way because we're actually getting people together. There aren't very many opportunities that people have to talk about these issues in person, right? Maybe you might talk to your family at the Thanksgiving table about, but actually I think we try to avoid doing that, right? Because that can blow up. (laughs) But here's a bunch of self-selected people who voluntarily 
chose to come to an activity where they can talk, look one another in the eyes, empathize with one another, recognize that the other person is a human being with a position, and then that minimizes this vitriol. Yeah. So I guess dropping the anonymity, that's a big step forward, right? If you yeah, to, yeah. If you have to look somebody in the eye and disagree with them, probably going to do it in a more agreeable manner. Right, right. Um, quite a bit tougher. And um, in these events, there's, there doesn't seem to be much interest in that. People are happy to disagree, um, but they're not so concerned with getting other people to accept their point or know, um, you know, just how f- strongly they hold their view, right? Sometimes on social media, people are out there, I really think X or I really think Y. Um, I want to go back to just one other thing about the, the slams. Um, it's not just cross-generational um, interactions that are nice about them. You know, um, when we have these conversations on campus, it's with the campus community, right? But we get out of our echo chamber when we go into the community. And so you get people from all walks of life um, coming in to talk. So it's it's students, it's professional people, it's blue-collar people, um, you know, artists, all sorts mm-hmm. of people, all different ages. And, and that's part of what's really nice about it. Yeah. Uh, so you're the, the latest one on, on the ethics of shaming. Uh, maybe tell me some of the uh, couple of questions that you posed. Sure. Um, so this takes various forms. Uh, uh, we are dealing with kind of call out culture, cancel culture right yeah. now, um, where people, you know, events that took place a really long time ago are raised and people are blamed for them. Which And maybe they well should be. It depends on the issue. Um, But shamed for past behavior. And shaming serves an important social function to some degree, right? We want people to feel um, some sort of remorse for past actions. But so we kind of explored as a community to what degree shame plays an important role and to what degree it can be really bad. So we looked at some cases. There are judges around the country that have um, sentenced uh, perpetrators to walk around saying with a sign saying I shoplifted or something so that the that so that that perpetrator will feel remorse feel embarrassed and maybe that will encourage them not to commit crimes again you see people shaming their children on the internet right? their pets their pets right, right? <laughs> I shoot up the sofa, mommy shoes yeah. or whatever right um, or and but sometimes it can get pretty bad mm-hmm. right um, pretty humiliating for the for the children involved uh, and I'm seeing a Deseret News uh, report on the on the public shaming uh, poetry slam. Um, a uh, gentleman in Ohio was sentenced to hold up a sign. It says, "I'm a bully. I pick on children that are disabled." Right. The, the judge sentenced him to to do this. Yep. Yep. Th- so those kinds of issues we discussed, right? Yeah. And some people were in favor of that kind of thing. Most, it seemed, were opposed. Do you, is that your recollection? That they were, people were had pretty big problems with that kind of approach. Yeah. A lot of people were totally against using shame as a form of punishment for people who were convicted of certain crimes or even like school children who like maybe broke the rules spoke out in class too much a lot of people were against like using public shame as a form of punishment Mm -hmm. right we we talked about a case where there was a detention wall where the school and i think it was washington would post the pictures of everybody who was going to be in in detention that afternoon Mm -hmm. yeah yeah now, uh, shaming, especially online shaming, social media shaming, that can have some rewards. There's a reason people do it, right? Sure. What uh, What are some benefits that people see from shaming? Well, I mean, like any punishment, it has some sort of deterrence function. Um, how successful it is is an open question. But, um, that would be one of them, I guess. Um, 
you know, if, if somebody were harmed and they saw that the perpetrator of that harm shamed in some way, they may feel um, good about it or a sense of justice, something like that. Um, but yeah, we have to weigh these things against the, the costs and if there are more effective ways to do it. Yeah. Um, just going back to the generational stuff, this is, this is tangentially related. Um, I just momentarily flashed back to when I was in first grade and was made to wear a cap that said dunce on it and had to sit in the corner with the, you, you were yes the, the wow. proverbial dunce cap that yeah. was shaming <laughs> and i i don't know what i said to, to yeah. bring that about but um used to be a regular part of pedagogy actually. yeah that yeah yeah but <laughs> for the, now, what did, did did that have a big effect on you um, no, I, it off. I'd forgotten about it until this very moment. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But well, we brought yeah. it back yeah, up yeah. for you. I'm sure you yeah. appreciate it. I, I know, you know, uh, peers can be very, um, well, mean, right? <laughs> I, I remember, this is kind of a little bit off topic. I remember first grade, um, an upperclassman uh, said, well, when's the flood coming? Uh-huh. And I didn't know what he was, a flood, what flood? And then my friend said he's referring to the hide of your pants off your shoes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's <laughs> so I said, okay, all righty then. You know, <laughs> kind of a, I was a weird kid; it didn't affect me that much. Um, <laughs> so let's uh, let's take a break, um, and when I come back, uh, want to talk a little bit more about some of these other uh, topics you've had: uh, guns. Peace, uh, we've talked a little bit about peaceful protest, uh, Me Too movement, identity politics, and the upcoming. Uh, I'll ask you maybe a couple of the subtopics that you'll you'll throw out there. Interesting. Climate change, of course, uh, should produce a vigorous um, discussion. That's what you want. Uh, so there is an ethics slam. This is an event. It's open mic. We're talking with organizers of the event, Richard Green, who's professor of philosophy and director of the Richard Richards Institute for Ethics at Weber State University, Rachel Robinson Green, postdoctoral fellow in philosophy at USU, and Utah State University students Preston Fearing, Abigail Slade, and Kristen Chavez. More following this break. This episode of Access Utah first aired in September of last year. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. An ethics slam is an event modeled around the poetry slam. Uh, it occurs in a community space. It's open mic. And uh, the uh, topic is usually controversial, but the uh, discussion that ensues is hopefully respectful and productive. We're talking with Richard Green, professor of philosophy and director of Richard Richards Institute for Ethics at Weber State University, and Rachel Robinson Green, postdoctoral fellow in philosophy at Utah State University. Uh, also, uh, USU students Preston Fearing, Abigail Slade, and Christian Chavez are, are with us. 
Uh, let me start again uh, this segment with uh, Rachel Robinson Green. So uh, this is a direct application of philosophy, right? An ethics slam. What would you tell me about how philosophy can be brought to bear in a practical way on on today's uh, problems, controversial topics? I think we a lot of us tend to think of philosophy as a very ivory tower. And I think it decidedly should not be thought of that way. Philosophy is for everyone. Philosophical reflection is a crucial part of what it is to live a flourishing human life. Um, and I think that the original, you know, the most famous philosopher of all, Socrates, spent his time doing just what we're doing tonight, right? Um, probing, asking questions of the community, trying to... Um, get clearer on concepts to refine our understanding of moral uh, moral concepts, moral issues. Um, and so, you know, I think that's exactly what philosophers should be doing, reaching out to their communities. I mean, everybody's a philosopher, really, um, I believe. Yeah, so uh, expand on that. Everybody's a philosopher. I mean, the, the, the great questions in philosophy are all questions that are applicable to every human life, right? Um, what, what is it to live a good life? What is it to flourish as a human being? Um, what's the right thing to do? Uh, do I have free will? What is knowledge? These sorts of questions. Everybody, they're, they're relevant to everyone. Yeah. What would you say about this question? Richard right. Green? So um, maybe by calling it an ethics slam, um, folks might be under the, the false pretense that what we're doing is talking about ethical theory and, and doing, you know, the more recherche kind of philosophical stuff. Couldn't be farther from the truth, right? Um, one of the big functions of philosophy is to um, teach critical thinking, right? How to rationally approach important issues in a way that doesn't bring in too much emotion, but, but doesn't wholly disrespect emotional responses as well. So the, the application of philosophy to these things is not the abstract theory that comes from Kant, Mill, Aristotle, um, Hume in my case, and so forth, but rather um, you know, focuses on what it is to have good dialogue, good discourse, right? Exactly what Socrates did. Hmm. Uh, so our students, uh, Preston, Abigail, and Christian, I think none of you are philosophy majors. Is that true? Yeah, that's accurate, I think. Can, can I yeah, correct the right. record? Yeah, yeah. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Very good. Be some recruiting going on. Um, so, Abigail, first, what what's your interest in philosophy? Um, my interest in philosophy, so my major is global communication, and I'm minoring in political science. And I think philosophy and the study of ethics really fits in really, really well with that because communicating globally, the world is increasingly more globalized and the world's getting smaller, people are more interconnected. And so those kinds of questions, what does it mean to be a good person? How do I, am I even obligated to help people? That kind of thing is crucial and key and one of the central functions of my field of study. I hope to work for the UN one day and help to reform foreign aid policy. And I think philosophy and ethics really is just key to keeping the passion for that kind of a field. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Christian, what do you think? My interest in philosophy, so I'm a chemistry major er, major with a philosophy minor, and it's really just, it's such an interesting topic because there are so many things that can get talked about that don't anymore, but it's not only that, it's just the whole environment of the classroom. Like, everyone's discussing, everyone's talking, it's more of like a group thing uh, rather than a class. 
And my whole interest in philosophy is like in the future, if I want to do experiments, I need to get like approval like from an ethics board or something like that. And it's really good to like have that background in philosophy to know if an experiment or any procedure will be an ethical. It does seem that uh, as science pushes further and further into frontiers, ethical questions come up. Definitely. More and more, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like we're – science scientists are constantly trying to push the bounds of what's ethical and not ethical to find more about the universe. Yeah. Uh, so, Preston, what's your interest in philosophy? So, uh, I, without boring you of the name of both my majors, I'm in pre-criminal law, um, which the, the ethics of criminal law are – very, to say the least, you know. Um, and so my interest is with philosophy is mainly in the ethics part, um, just because our criminal justice system uh, has various ethical questions that need to be asked. And uh, so I hope to be able to ask those as I get further along. Yeah, so. yeah interesting. Uh, by the way, in uh, our last segment, I'm, I'm hoping to uh, carve out some time. Well, I will carve out some time because it's so interesting uh, to talk with... Uh, Richard Green and Rachel Robinson Green about uh, some books that you have wh- where you are using um, you're, you're using uh, popular culture mm-hmm. to, to to talk about philosophical topics, right? So the Sopranos and philosophy and and uh, and verse uh, uh, vampires. So let's let's hold that for now. But I definitely want to get into that. Uh, we do have an email. Uh, this is from Steve. Uh, Steve says uh, the title is Dunce Caps and Pedagogy. (laughs) (laughs) The Dunce Caps is going to be the takeaway from this, I'm afraid. Uh, He says, yes, Dunce Caps were indeed once part of pedagogy, but who knew that anyone still alive has experience of them? (laughs) He he says, I'm almost 70, and they were well before my time. Well, I guess that wherever you were going to school, that they... They uh, they were using them where you were. Yeah. Hillview Elementary School, Salt Lake City. Actually, wow. Actually in Murray, 1966, I believe. Wow. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks, thanks, Steve. I'm I'm glad Steve you didn't experience the dunce cap. Um, <laughs> Richard Green did. It doesn't seem to have scarred you. Um, no, I, other things scarred me more. Uh, other so. things. <laughs> All right, very good. Back to the bullying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, So I want to talk about, uh, so let's talk about the the ethics slam that's coming up. Uh, So uh, Rachel Robinson-Green will be throwing out some questions on this uh, overall topic of responding to climate change. Uh, and I assume within the, that uh, you know community gathering, there'll be a lot of different views. What? Uh, how are you going to frame the conversation? Sure. Um, so I think this is a really important conversation to have because as 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 matters get worse and worse, um, we need to figure out what to do about it, right? Uh, and it's a good conversation to be having with you young people who are going to play hopefully a major role in mm-hmm. in shaping policy. Um, so I so some of the the questions that that are going to come up, I think, would, will have to do with, like, individual responsibility versus responsibility on a broader scale. So I think we all try to make personal changes in our lives, like maybe we'll stop using straws, um, maybe we'll um, s- go plant-based in our food choices. Um, but then, so so there there's some individual responsibility that we take ourselves to bear, Um with respect to consumer choices, but then we think how much how much impact does that make compared to um, more to bigger 
institutions, the, the choices made by larger institutions like governments or um, corporations, importantly, right? So there's, there are those issues. Um, and then there's, these, there's an issue. There, people are kind of split on the topic of um, how we should move forward. So should we, um, so should we just try to roll back um, emissions or should we geoengineer the planet, right? How do we deal with ocean acidification? Um, and the fact that coral is dying, should we change the fundamental chem chemical properties of the ocean? Or but there's really no coming back from that, though, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, um, should we, uh, yeah, so what, what kinds of solutions should we be looking for? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and it's been your experience that the, the, the conversation is varied, a lot of varied opinions, but respectful? That's, it has I mean, been. That, yeah. that, that is hopeful, yeah. We're, we're 6 and 0, right? We've, yeah. we've, good, yeah. good. Um, <laughs> we've only had to admonish one person in yeah. all six slams. Really? And, and it was a very, hey, a little over the line kind of yeah. mm -hmm. admonishment. Yeah, it's, I, I think people walk in the room sort of already embracing the rules of the game, yeah. right? Yeah. So they, they, they know that they're expected to be civil. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to turn to uh, our students um, here. And it's, you know, as we go along, I don't know what <laughs> we, we tend to, uh, our generation tends to say, okay, your generation is going to fix this, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's all on you. Uh, we, we've made a mess of things. It's all on you. I don't know if you feel that pressure, Christian. Do you? I definitely do feel that pressure <laughs> because, um, People talk about, like, leaving the world better than how we left it um, or better than how we, like, found it. Um, so there's definitely pressure that we fix it for our next, like, the generation that we will, like, I don't know what the word is, next but generation. the next generation coming. Thank you. Um, but so there's definitely pressure for us to fix everything, but also, like, how we're going to fix it. Mm -hmm. Like, is it... Is it changing the acidity, acidity levels of the ocean, or is it just the general warming and cooling of the Earth, like in space, or is it like changing our consumer habits? Like, there's a lot of things that need to get fixed that I don't know if we can fix in just one generation. Yeah, Abigail, it's it, always dangerous to uh, stereotype entire generation. Um, I'm kind of venturing into that area <laughs> by asking you the following question: Do you do you think your generation generally accepts? concept of human caused climate change or is there dissent within your generation do you think i think i think absolutely our generation does and obviously i can't speak for everybody and my like i have no expertise on this field but from what i've seen people in my generation generally agree with the fact that yes people are causing climate change but i would i would say that they don't agree that it's specifically the baby boomer generation that has been the cause i mean this has been a problem ever since the industrial revolution ever since there's been more um creative destruction in terms of how like planned obsolescence for products people like sell products that they plan on having them like break down in 10 15 years so that it forces you to buy another one if not sooner and so this isn't a recent problem this isn't a baby boomer induced problem this has been going on for you know 150 200 years ever since ever since the industrial revolution yeah and so it's not fair to just point out one generation it's been going on for a long time um, uh, let's turn to Preston next. Uh, so Preston, what, uh, you know, kind of the way it was framed by, by Rachel, what do you, what do you think, where would you come down on in terms of solutions? In, well, really quick on what Abigail was saying, I, I think our generation really has embraced the fact that, you know, humans are 
causing climate change, right? Um, it's no longer a question of if it's happening, but how we're going to solve it, right? And uh, how fast it's happening. And so I, for me, the biggest thing I do, I, I've stopped using plastic straws actually because of the social ethics class I took with Rachel last year um, and the saving the turtles and everything. Um, but I think we can do consumer habits changing all we want all day long and it'll get better, but well, it'll get less worse. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's not going to stop it. It's going to slow down the progression. What we really need to do is look at big corporations that are, you know, causing these problems and have been since the Industrial Revolution, like Abigail said. Um, one of the biggest things, Rachel brought up uh, plant-based alternatives for food. Um, one of the biggest problems that it's like the unspoken problem is um, cows, you know, the the methane gas they release is you know it's really high up there on what's causing our global warming, and so we have to look at the corporations that are causing the problems, and then institute laws to change you know the way we look at it so that we can solve the problem in a way that actually makes it better instead of just preventing it from getting worse. Mm. So uh, in the end, as many things do, it comes down to politics, political system, right? Changing laws. I I feel like everything comes down to politics in the end, which may be part of my major, but... Right. (laughs) I'm interested in in your take, uh, our our young people here. um, uh, Our political system is famously stalemated. It's it's frankly depressing. Do you you think there is hope? Um, Abigail. I think I think there is hope if there are more discussions like the ones that the ethics slam provides a model for. Um, with my minor in political science, I'm, I've been exposed to and in intercultural communications and things like that. There are so many ideas that people have. It just comes down to politicians wanting to please the constituency instead of actually pushing for policy that will get things done. Yeah. Um, there are so many facets and so many pressures that they face, but I think that if people can elect people that they trust and then if those people can follow through on some things without being so polarizing and um, just ostracizing people who think differently from them, it, it would help immensely to get problems like these um, starting to be fixed. We do have a caller, uh, so I'll alert our guest to put on their headphones. Hopefully I've, I've remembered to turn them up. One of the headphones doesn't work. Anyway, so that's behind the scenes. Uh, Casey in Smithfield has called us. Uh, glad you did. Casey, go ahead with your question or comment. Yeah, I was just going to say this discussion's been really interesting to me because in the in this discussion, you have the challenge to get your beliefs challenged. And we don't really learn about what we believe when we hang out with people that believe the same as we do. I've found in my life that I've learned really what I truly do believe in inside of me and in my mind when I have been challenged. Uh, when I first took philosophy in 89, and Dr. Sherlock was teaching us ethics, and he challenged my beliefs on things I didn't ever think about. And it was fascinating to be, to think about these things and figure out what do I really believe, and why do I believe it? Or having friends, you know, you're walking along thinking you believe a certain way, and have a friend challenge you in a discussion, not in a yelling match, and you figure out, hey, do I believe this or don't I? And it allows you to change, uh, and I think it's a really cool idea 
hopefully we can get it into the political spectrum again because, you know, the discussion and legislating common ground is what made America strong, not saying one party's right. Mm. Uh, Casey, can I uh, ask you a follow-up question? So you you were challenged in a philosophy class. It sounds like challenged maybe by friends, which is a healthy thing. Um, Where else are you challenged, do you think? Where else can we be challenged? Well, I've been... I've been challenged that, uh, like in a work environment where I believe something should change, but the momentum of status quo said, no, this is the way we do it. But since I believed in myself and I believed in the idea, I pushed it forward. You know, I've been challenged uh, discussing with friends or family. Uh, you know, you take a long trip, say you go to Florida. <laughs> And you learn you learn things and get challenged about ideas and belief systems, and it's really enjoyable because you have to learn to do it in a calm way, or you're not going to make it, you know. And that's what I mean. I, I've been challenged in multiple areas of my life, but it's really helped cement my belief system. But I'm not. How do you say? I'm not absolutely stuck on that. Mm. I'm I'm pretty headstrong, but if you can show me a better way. I will switch, you know, and uh, I don't know if that's typical. I found out that I don't think like everybody else, but (laughs) I think it's a really good idea because those challenges are where, and I think everybody, when we are challenged, we, we can be open to new learning and we can be open to new thought processes. Yeah, those are, those are some excellent points. Uh, Thanks, Casey. Appreciate that. Yeah, you've really you captured the spirit of, of what we're we're trying to get out tonight. So hope to see you there. Yeah, it'd be fun. Okay, that's Casey in Smithfield. Thank you so much. Um, so I want to follow up with that, uh, maybe starting with uh, Richard. Um, this, you know, the, the experiences that Casey is talking about presuppose, I think, that both parties are listening. Yeah, you, right. You, you can't be one, one or the other can't be closed off. Right. And, you know, and we get a little bit of that from time to time. And um, the conversation tends to just stall there. But the next person comes along, raises their hand, and, and we're back in business. Um, so if, if you come to this and you want to make a, a very short speech, um, you won't have the same level of engagement with others. But you can say, well, here's what I think and, and why. Yeah. Um, but the people that get the most out of it are the ones that, as Rach pointed out earlier, are actively listening. Yeah. Uh, so, Rachel, um, what do you think, what, what do people come away with? What do they tell you after they've come, they've participated? Um, probably a lot of minds aren't changed, I would guess, but but they've been listening to each other. What what do they say leaving? Well, they just, they really appreciate having had the chance to do it. Um, uh, some of them will say, they'll comment on the fact that they spoke with someone at length uh, with whom they disagreed and then went up and shook their hand and had a pleasant conversation with them after the fact. And that's just so rare that I think that kind of thing is is maybe the most useful uh, outcome of these these things. That's what, what our participants report as having been most useful. Yeah. So if I could follow up on that, I had a gentleman come up to me at one of these a couple times ago and he says, you know, no one's going to change their mind because they're here. Um, and I thought, that, well, that's probably not entirely true, but mostly true. Um, but it's not really the point. So my response to him was, we're not, people aren't coming here to do this, to change you know, one another's minds. They're coming here to prove to themselves and each other that we can have these kinds of conversations instead of the kinds of conversations Abigail was describing earlier that are 
you know, vitriolic and hostile and what did you say? Downright rude, you know, at times. So, you know, I think what people leave with is this sense of, of hope about the ability to, you know, rationally engage with people whom they disagree on complicated issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do we take this to the political arena? We talked about, uh, you know, taking climate change political arena. That's where the real solution is going to be. Um, but in the political arena, by definition, there's going to have to be some minds change. There's going to have to be winners and losers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think that's just what's what compromise is called. Um, a good compromise, both parties walk away unhappy. So I think that, um, yeah, I think it really just does, does come down to civil discourse, meeting in the middle, and accepting the fact that you're going to leave unhappy. That's just the reality of that's what has to happen for things to, to change, to move forward. We've lost the art of compromise, I think, right? It's polarization. Compromise is a dirty word. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, how do we get that back, do you think? Uh, well, if you ask me, it starts with uh, not having a bipartisan system. Uh, you have to have the moderates. <laughs> um, we have such a polarized system now um, in the U.S. where it becomes it's difficult to compromise because if you compromise, you lose your voters. Um, you know, and so we we need to find the middle ground, and we need to establish that and make it seem like it's actually an option rather than you know just something that's to be thrown out at the first. Um, at the first opportunity. Uh, Christian, what do you think? Well, I mean, yes, there are going to be like winners and losers in politics, but I do agree with Preston that if you do come to a compromise, you are going to lose your voters, and it is with that bipartisan system. Um, But I feel like with this civil discourse, like you're more likely to go away a little bit happier than completely both sides are just unhappy. Mm -hmm. Um, because it's more like finding your own beliefs and strengthening them or hearing someone else out and understanding where they're coming from and understanding like that's how they were raised, that's how they came up in life and understanding like if you can't change their mind then that's okay because so, it's their own life. Like they, they will always think what they will think. Hmm. Let's take another break. Uh, we'll come back with final segment. Uh, we're talking about uh, ethics slams and uh, application of philosophy to everyday life. Uh, we have some philosophers with us and some students who are interested in philosophy. Uh, we'll have more following this break.
This episode of Access Utah was first aired in September of last year. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams, and we're talking about Ethics Slams. That's an event, uh, open mic in a community space discussing controversial topics, and uh, everyone's invited to express their opinion. Discussion ensues, and uh, Richard, you said we're 6-0 and uh, in, in terms of respectfulness, right? Yeah, they've all been wonderful. We have with us uh, Richard Green, Professor of Philosophy and Director of the Richard Richards Institute for Ethics at Weber State University, Rachel Robinson Green, Postdoctoral Fellow in Philosophy at USU, and USU students Preston Fearing, Abigail Slade, and Christian Chavez. Uh, so just briefly in this last segment, uh, I want to turn to our uh, USU students. Uh, a previous ethics slam was talked about guns, and I imagine that was an interesting discussion. Um, there seems to be, and I want to verify this uh, with you, I'm asking you to speak for your entire generation again. Sorry about that. But um, <laughs> um, there, I think people are detecting maybe a bit of a shift on this issue with the younger generation. You know, the Parkland uh, survivors have uh, been very uh, prominent um, on this uh, this issue. Uh, I wonder what your feeling is, Preston. Uh, on guns? Uh. <laughs> and uh, whether you think the, the, your generation is coalescing around some forms of gun control, or is there a diversity of opinion, do you think? Um, I, I think there's still a diversity of opinion. Um, I, I'm from Chicago originally, and so obviously we have problems with guns there uh, in a very unique way. Um, and so we, especially there, guns weren't, you know, they weren't cool. Out here when I moved out west, um, guns were cool, again, you know, um, not AR-15s, obviously, but, like, going out and going shooting with your family was, you know, an event. And so I think we, we've we started coalescing around the fact that we need some form of gun control, but I don't think we've come to a decision on how we want that done. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Christian? Well, I would agree with Preston. Um, but so there is definitely a diversity of um, opinions on this topic. But in Utah, mainly, there are uh, people who do, like, have a very strong opinion for guns and against guns. And I feel like a, a civil discourse in this manner is a fantastic way to actually come about it. And I'm surprised that it went so well because um, it is a very hot topic right now. And just the, like, intensity of the situation is so crazy. Like how you mentioned the Parkland survivors are very prominent right now. Like, um I mean, it's hard because, I mean, even at Walmart, like, you can still buy, like, guns for a very cheap price. Like, I was in there yesterday and they were still there. And it's just terrifying to me, personally, that they that it's so easy to get them right there. Mm. Abigail, what's your, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think I would just second everything that they've said. And I think that there are steps being taken in the right direction. Um, I know that Walmart came out saying that they're going to stop selling guns and ammunition um, in the near future. But I think that Uh, Just because there are so many facets of this discussion that people's views are shifting, but they're not shifting in the same way. They're Mm -hmm. all shifting different directions. And so it's going to still be a lengthy discussion and a lot of arduous work before any kind of agreement is come to. Yeah. Uh, we'll have uh, more of those discussions here on Access Utah, I'm sure. Uh, so we just have a couple of minutes left. Uh, let's, let's turn. So uh, 
two minutes, uh, your, your two-minute version of uh, philosophy and popular culture. For example, The Sopranos. Uh, maybe give me an example of, of illustrating philosophical concepts through The Sopranos. Yeah, so, you know, philosophers have used pop culture to make philosophical points, um, you know, going back to Plato and even the pre-Socratics. So, you know, Plato would use thought experiments from Greek mythology, right? Um, they, these things sort of set up nicely. So we can use contemporary pop culture in the same way and bring out all sorts of, of philosophical issues that are raised in the show. So um, one interesting paper in the Sopranos book, um, I didn't write this, it's an edited collection, um, shows how um, Austin's theory of philosophy of language um, is exemplified by mob speak, right, and the, the language that they use. They do things with words in a different way. Um, there's papers on the morality of the various characters. Um, Rachel's recent book on A Handmaid's Tale addresses an awful lot of our contemporary social issues, not to take your point in, in your book, but um, <laughs> I thought I should plug it. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. A Handmaid's, the Handmaid's Tale and Philosophy, Rachel Robinson Green. <laughs> Uh, and as others are titled Quentin Tarantino and Philosophy, The Golden Compass Philosophy, Zombies, Vampires, and Philosophy. Uh, so interesting, interesting takes. Uh, so I'll give you the last word, uh, Rachel Robinson Green. Um, why should people come to the Ethics Slam? Well, it'll be a lot of fun, and you'll have an opportunity to meet people who you may not have had a chance to meet before because this, this is a really unique uh, type of event where you're going to see people from all different walks of life and hopefully you'll leave with a feeling of more hopefulness toward the future. Wonderful. We've been talking with uh, USU students Christian Chavez, Abigail Slade, and Preston Fearing. Thanks. Thank you very much, All of Tom. you for coming in. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Uh, Rachel Robinson Green, postdoctoral fellow at, uh, in philosophy at USU. Thanks. Thanks very much. And Richard Green, professor of philosophy and director of the Richard Richards Institute for Ethics at Weber State University. Thanks. Appreciate it.